Could you uh, turn in your Bibles, please, at least to one of these passages, if not two? First, from Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And then I'm going to turn to James chapter 2 in the New Testament. But first of all, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. And now from James chapter 1, verse 5. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. May God be pleased to bless the reading, and the preaching of this is most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend and upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to convey everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. And may this be a word that is life-changing, a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. My... New book that I've just presented today to Victor and Judith, the first copy, uh, is called In This Country, In Pursuit of His Wisdom. And uh, some of you may know that many years ago, I wrote a book called In Pursuit of His Glory, an account of our 25 years in London. Uh, this book will be published in America uh, in a few months. They're going to call it the greatest gift. Uh, I'm okay about that title. And the reason they're doing it is because I'm saying in the book that of all the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, if you were to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and start reading at, at verse 8, where Paul lists the gifts of the Spirit, the first gift mentioned is wisdom. And the reason he mentions it first, it's the greatest of the gifts. 
I was tempted to call the book The Gift Nobody Seems to Want. Because when you look at the list and people say, oh, hmm, I like that miracles gift. That's the one I want. Or I'd like the gift of healing. I like this or that gift. And uh, it seems that even though Paul mentions wisdom first, we get to something else and, oh, that's what I want. That's what I really want. And the truth is, this is the greatest of the gifts of the Spirit. You could make the case it's the most urgent need in the church today. How many people do you know that are clever but not wise? Brilliant but not wise. Gifted but not wise. And so I've written this book because I think it is so needed. James, the epistle of James, is probably the first that was written. Around 40, in the 40, 42, 43 A.D., just some 10 years after Jesus went to heaven. It's the earliest book. And James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he says right at the beginning, the first time he mentions prayer. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, I want to make this clear. The fact that I have written this book on wisdom uh, doesn't mean that I claim that I've got it. And, uh, and I know I keep reminding you every week that I'll be 79 uh, in July, and I want to make it clear that being old doesn't mean that you've got wisdom. As a matter of fact, uh, Shakespeare's play King Lear is an illustration. There's no fool like an old fool. And uh, my greatest fear uh, is not finishing well. The funny thing is, <laughs> I had a lady come up to me some months ago, and I don't remember where it was. I wished I could remember, but then the more I think about it, I don't want to know. A lady came up to me and said, quote, It is so good to meet someone who has finished well. <laughs> I tried to smile. Well, I think I've got a few years. I could be wrong about that. Uh, maybe another 10 years. And I will admit that I want to write a book on finishing well. I want to call it, It Ain't Over Till It's Over. Uh, and I might just write it and let it be printed after, after I'm in heaven. But I'm not ready to write that book yet. Because I've got a few years left, and I could still mess up. I am capable of that. And uh, so, being old is no guarantee of wisdom. And yet, it is a sign of wisdom that one chooses wisdom over anything else. Uh, most people, if they had a choice, would choose money or pleasure or fame if they had their way. Uh, God came to Solomon and said, what would you like? God came to Moses, did the same thing. And when you realize what, 
these people asked for, have you ever fantasized? I have. Ever wondered, what if God came to you and said, what would you like? Name it. You've got it. And if you knew that God wouldn't hold it against you, if you didn't ask for what maybe He wanted you to ask for, but you could really have anything you wanted, and no conditions, no recriminations, no guilt from God after you made the choice, if you could really have what you want, what would you ask for? Think about it for just a minute. Anything. God's going to give it. I put this to a friend of mine. What would you ask for? He said, good health. That's reasonable. I put it to another friend. What would you like? He said that my daughter would come to the Lord. It's a good request. I asked someone else. They said, win the lottery. <laughs> God gave it to Moses. And you know what Moses said? Exodus 33, 13, he said, Lord, if I really have found favor with you, then show me your ways. That lets you know the kind of man Moses was. Greatest leader of men in the history of the world, Moses. God came to Solomon and says, ask for anything you want. And Solomon said, wisdom. And God liked that. In fact, God liked it so much that He said, Solomon, you know, you could have asked for a long life. You could have asked for fame, riches, judgment on your enemies. But because you asked for wisdom, guess what, Solomon? I'm going to give you what you asked for and the things you didn't ask for. You see, I wish people could learn from that. We're living in a day when people appeal to your greed. Do you know this, that 30, 40 years ago, the common denominator of Pentecostals and Charismatics was the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know what the common denominator is today? It's prosperity teaching. That's what holds the Charismatic movement together. It's so sad. And yet, listen to Jesus. Matthew 6, my dad's favorite verse, and I've grown up on it. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added. They're thrown in. That's what God said to Solomon. You didn't ask for these things. You asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom, plus the things you didn't ask for. But what so many prosperity preachers do today is they bring up these things and you're supposed to pray for them and expect them and they miss it. Not to mention the gospel goes behind a cloud. Today, I want to tell you that wisdom is the greatest of the gifts of the Spirit. The Greek word is Sophia. And in ancient Greece, they thought it belonged to the gods alone. But the Bible makes it clear that we all can have this Sophia wisdom. 
I want to give some definitions of wisdom. Uh, in my book, I go into so much detail, but uh, in this little sermon today, I could just give you a tiny bit, a tiny bit. Uh, I've got uh, a chapter in the book on the wisdom of Jesus. Won't have time to go into that today. I've got a chapter called Concealed Wisdom. I think that's my favorite chapter. In other words, where is an example of wisdom that when you see it, you think, that's dumb, that's stupid, that's not wisdom. I think of Mordecai when he was told to bow to Haman and he wouldn't even move. I think, Mordecai, don't be stupid. But there was wisdom in it. Sometimes what we do, no one perceives it as wisdom. Or take Good Friday. If you saw the crucifixion of Jesus and someone said to you, that is God reconciling the world to himself, you'd say, got to be crazy. No evidence of wisdom. And so sometimes we take a stand and people don't see it as wise at all. But let me give you some definitions of wisdom. One, it is God's opinion. The Greek word doxa translated glory, glory of God. The word glory comes from a root word that means opinion. You can make a case. The glory of God is His opinion. You need to know that God has an opinion what you should do with your life. He's got an opinion what you should do tomorrow. He had an opinion of what you should have done yesterday. The problem is we don't consult God. We don't want His opinion. We're afraid of what it might lead to. It's like a person goes to the doctor and doesn't want the accurate diagnosis. We're afraid to hear something we don't want to hear, so people sometimes don't even go to the doctor. And so when it comes, if you want the wisdom of God, you think, hmm, I'm not sure. It might lead me where I don't want to go. And by the way, this is why Proverbs says, wisdom is supreme, get wisdom, though it cost you all you have, get wisdom. But you're so afraid that you'll be deprived of things. I can tell you now, for somebody here, this is the most important word you'll ever get. God's opinion, or another definition, the ability to get things done. Some have it, some don't. My own definition is the presence of the mind of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the mind of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has an opinion. And if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and He's ungrieved, in you, He will convey to you what to do next. Now there's an expression people use, presence of mind. It could happen to a non-Christian when suddenly a person, not even saved, just knows exactly what to do. Presence of mind. 
And that can happen, even to a non-Christian. But the presence of the mind of the Holy Spirit comes by having the kind of relationship with Him whereby He is not grieved. You see, the Holy Spirit is a very sensitive person. This is why He's depicted as a dove. A dove is a very shy bird. The dove came down on Jesus and stayed there because Jesus never grieved the Holy Spirit. You say, R.T., how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? I can tell you. By losing your temper, unforgiveness, pointing the finger, sexual immorality, these things grieve the Spirit. Even though He is in us, the Holy Spirit never leaves us. But if He's in us and grieved, that means that you, for the moment, cut off yourself from knowing what is His mind. And if I live with an intimacy with the Holy Spirit, I can know what He's thinking. I can get His mind. I can get His opinion. And so the presence of the mind of the Spirit is you find out what grieves the Spirit and don't do that, and that way you can get the presence of His mind. Now, wisdom exists on two levels. One, Holy Scripture. This is where you find the greatest wisdom in the world. Uh, a few moments ago, Colin and I were talking about a very famous prophetic man. He's actually preached here uh, some years ago. You know, the difficulty with having a prophetic gift, you may wish you had it, but if you ever get it, you better keep quiet about it, and I'll tell you why. They'll be coming up to you right, left, and center and say, have you got a word for me? I've been with these prophetic people. They can't walk across a hotel lobby without somebody coming, got a word for me. You got a word for me. And this one I was telling you about was in Phoenix, Arizona. And he had this lady come up to him and says, have you got a word for me? And my friend lost his temper, took his Bible and said, yes, here, take it. <laughs> she didn't know he had lost his temper. She just, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he came back two years later to Phoenix. He says, that woman knew her Bible better than any pastor around <laughs> because she got a prophetic word, know the Bible. Well, I can tell you now, this is where wisdom is. But there's such a thing as having this intimacy with God, and He will actually tell you what to do. I don't know how many of you have, we call them in America GPS. Over here, sat-nav. You, you wonder, how did we live without them? Now that we've got one, you just sit in your car and punch in the address, press the button, voice comes, say, drive 100 yards, turn right. So you just start driving, turn right. Go one mile and come left. 50 yards, turn left. 30, 10, turn left. Now, go one mile, take exit 6. And you go one mile and you forget to turn right, and immediately 
the voice kicks in, recalculating. <laughs> you sometimes think it ought to say, you stupid twit, I told you to turn right. <laughs> but no, I was amazed because I think, what a calm voice. Doesn't moralize you. I told you to turn right. No, it just says, here's what to do now. Now that you messed up, here is what you do. That's the Holy Spirit. He's so gracious. And we've all messed up. And he just comes along and says, okay, here's what to do now. Can't go back. It may mean driving a little further, then turn right, make a U-turn, whatever. At least listen this time. Whatever he says, do it. I would define wisdom as having 20-20 foresight vision. You see, we all have 20-20 hindsight. We know what we should have done an hour ago, what we should have done yesterday, six years ago. But the Holy Spirit knows the future as well as He knows the past. And if we have the sense enough to get quiet instead of rushing down the road or running ahead, Isaiah 30, verse 15, in quietness shall be your strength. Don't run ahead. Stop. Wait. Get His Word, His opinion. So wisdom is saying the right thing at the right time. And in James chapter 3, verse 2, he says something interesting. I'm so glad he said this. He said, if any man offends not in what he says, he's a perfect man. Uh, interesting, isn't it? He admits that we all stumble in many ways. As a matter of fact, would you like to know my most unfavorite verse in the Bible? Do you have an unfavorite verse? I'm going to give you mine. It's Matthew 20. It's, no, Matthew 12, verse 36. Don't turn to it. I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> I tell you, all men and women have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I don't think judgment's going to be a lot of fun to think that every careless word I just wonder, have I made any mistakes today already? Proverbs says, in many words, sin is not absent. And if anyone doesn't offend somebody in what he says, he's perfect. We all stumble. Well, third chapter of James is all about tongue control. And it's a, car, it's a hard call. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it wisdom that enables us to control our tongues, or is it controlling our tongue that gives us wisdom? Hard call. But I know this, the Bible warns of the folly of rejecting God's wisdom. And so here's what Proverbs says, if you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed, when I stretched out my hand, you ignored all my advice. In turn, 
This is horrible. I wish, I wish this wasn't here. I will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Why would God talk like that? Well, he's not gloating. He's not laughing because he's happy. No, it's, just, it's a metaphor to explain. It's too late. God can't make what happened not to happen. It's over. And he says, you will call upon me and I won't answer. It'll be too late. It'll be too late. Wisdom comes by choosing the fear of the Lord. Doesn't mean running scared 24 hours a day, but it means you choose basically two things. One, to know His Word, and the second, to know His ways. You make a choice. You want to know the Bible. You want to know the Bible more than anything in the world. I'm always having people come to me and say, would you pray for me that I could have your anointing? I don't blame them. I'm happy to do it. In fact, at our IBIOL last Thursday, uh, I laid hands on every student. They all asked for me to do it, that my anointing would pass to them. I'd be glad if it did. That would mean 40 years of reading the Bible 40 times. That would mean I've read the New Testament through over 80 times, Psalms over 80 times, and if it's a way to lay hands on you and it, all that like a, a computer uh, thing that you plug in and all my knowledge would go into your head, I would do it. I'd, I'd give it to you now. But chances are God will want to know how much do you want it. And you just start reading His Word. And you'd be surprised how in a short period of time, if you have a, a one-year Bible reading plan, in the Bible you've read the, that way, four chapters a day will cover you so that you read the whole Bible in a year. You can go online today and get a one-year Bible reading plan. I was the other day in South Carolina and stressed this, and I was so thrilled that the pastor stood up on the last night and says, I want everybody to read the Bible starting today, and a year from now we're going to find out how many did it. This is wisdom. You choose to know His Word, and you choose to know His ways. And the way you get to know anybody's ways is to spend time with them. My wife knows my ways. I know her ways. You spend time with God, you get to know His ways. You may not like His ways, but He's the only God you've got. So get over it and adjust to His ways. It will save you so much sorrow down the road. This is why Proverbs says, though it costs you all you have. And so, wisdom begins by acknowledging your sin. Wisdom begins by saying, I'm wrong. I've got it wrong. And when you're sorry, and you confess it to God. There's good old 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I ask you a question? You've heard this before, 99% of you, but 
There might be somebody here, you haven't heard it. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? And if you were to stand before God, you will. He were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Write down on a piece of paper right now, in your mind, in your mind, what you think you would say. There's only one answer. Give the right answer, God says, in. Give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. You don't want to go there. What would you say? What would you say? Wisdom is taking with both hands what the Bible calls the gospel. Good news that God sent His one and only Son into the world to die on a cross. And you transfer the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross. This is wisdom when you receive the gospel. How would it make you feel if in my sermon today I can now announce that you can have this Sophia wisdom, what the ancient Greeks said only the gods could have. You had to be Plato or Aristotle or Socrates. If you were one of those, you could have this wisdom. But then I'm going to say, look, I can now tell you that you all can have this by education. You say, well, that's good for those that can afford it or those who were privileged. Or what if God said you can have it by being cultured? You know, when you're born in the hills of Kentucky, there's not a lot of hope for you if, if that's it. Look, don't be intimidated that I'm from Kentucky. I know that uh, you can't help it that you weren't born in Kentucky. You're to be forgiven for that. What if God said, by a strong intellect, you can have wisdom, intelligence? Oh, what if I had said, all here who have a high IQ, promise of wisdom, how would that make you feel? Or what if I were to say, everybody who's had success in making money, you get to apply for wisdom. You say, I'm broke, I don't have anything. Or what if I said, wisdom comes from being well connected. You know somebody that knows the royal family. You know some member of parliament. You've got access to 10 Downing Street. You know somebody that give you a recommendation. If they see that recommendation, you're in. And you say, well, R.T., I don't have anybody. I don't know anybody. I just want to say this. To the most insignificant person here, let's say you've never been here before. This is your first time. And you maybe feel awkward. Never been here before. You don't know who these people are. I want to tell you something. Whoever you are, first time here, God offers you this wisdom. It doesn't even help to be well-connected. As for a high IQ, that could hurt because people like that don't think they know, they, they think they know everything and they don't need to learn anything. But to the person who says, oh, I surely do need that, what does James say? 
If any man lack wisdom, any man, any woman, you lack wisdom, ask God. And guess how you get it? It comes by choosing the fear of the Lord. That's what he says. In fact, here's what Proverbs goes on to say, Proverbs 1.29, since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, he says, I will laugh when they're in trouble. How interesting. You choose the fear of the Lord. Simply means you want what the Bible has got to say. You might like to know that wisdom is a secret. Carefully guarded secret. And only God has it. And you can twist his arm and shout to the tree uh, tops and say, give me this wisdom. <laughs> he doesn't want to give it to you. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a secret. He actually knows what you should do. When I was writing this book about a year ago, never forget it as long as I live. When I write a book, sometimes I put on earphones, and uh, you probably think that I'm listening to There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, or Graham Kendrick's hymn, Shine Jesus Shine. If I were to tell you that sometimes I listen to Rachmaninoff, and you say, well, was he a Christian? I don't know. But there's something about Rachmaninoff's music that I just kind of go into another world. I love it. And sometimes I'll just play it, what I'm thinking. When I get to heaven, I, I hope he was saved. I love his music. But one day, suddenly, the music stopped. I thought, what have I done? I kept click clicking it back and forth, put the thing in and out, went all over the computer. I spent 10, 15 minutes. I said, Louise, uh, something's wrong. My computer's broke down. And it just, the guarantee period was just over a week before. And it cost $2,000 to buy this thing. And if I take it in, first it'll cost several hundred dollars. And they'll have, have it in there for weeks. And I need it now. What am I going to do? And I'm leaving tomorrow on a flight, and I want my earphones to work. And, and I called our son, T.R. He's expert on these things. I said, T.R., something's wrong. The computer doesn't work. Don't get any sound. He said, uh, any chance that you might have touched the mute key on the keyboard? <laughs> I said, let me try it. Boom. Oh, the music came right back. <laughs> Simple secret. But if he hadn't told me that, I'd have taken my computer in. They probably worked on it for weeks. Little thing. Push a button. That's how easily God can show you what to do next. It's a secret. But it comes from choosing the fear of the Lord. So... How do you get it? <laughs> you ask for it. Ask for it. 
If anyone lack wisdom, that's me. Ask for it. That's what I'm going to do. Because I'm going to the one who knows the secret. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. And by the way, when you ask for wisdom, it is one time you know for sure that you're praying in the will of God. Why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why it's important. If you don't pray in His will, you're not going to be heard. Really? Mm. 1 John 5.15 If anyone asks according to His will, He hears us. That's the way you get your prayer answered. Pray in His will. Now, there is an exception. For those who say, I don't want what He has told me I have to do. And you tr still ask for it. And God says no, but you keep asking for it. You know what happens? There's a verse in Psalm 106, 15. He granted them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. Or as mo one modern version put it, sent a wasting disease. God knows what's best for you. The people came to Samuel says, we want a king. Samuel said, not a good idea. Oh, we want a king like other nations. Samuel says, big mistake. Please, don't even think about it. We want a king. And God says, give them their king. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And they got it. They lived to be so sorry. God knows what is best for you, and I ask you quite straightforwardly, would you actually want anything He didn't want you to have? Would you actually want anything He didn't want you to have? But when you pray in the will of God, you're safe. There are three ways to know you're praying in the will of God. You ready for this? Number one, pray the Lord's Prayer. That's how to know. Because Jesus said, when you pray, say. Louise and I pray this every day together. We say it out loud together. We haven't had a chance to do it yet, have we, honey? Well, why don't we just do it now, you and me? Shall we let them join us? Okay, you that want to, since I haven't had time to pray the Lord's Prayer. I was working on this sermon this morning and I had to get here. Uh, and so we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. But if you would like, you can join us. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You just prayed in the will of God because Jesus said you ought to pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every day. There's one other way to know you're praying in the will of God. And that's when you pray in the Spirit. What's that? Well, Romans 8, 26. 
when you don't know what to pray for. You just pray in the Spirit with groanings that cannot be uttered, and this is where your prayer language kicks in, and you just start praying in the Spirit, and you don't have a clue what you're asking for. And there are smart people that say, well, that's dumb. Well, that's dumb to you, but Paul said, we don't know. We don't know what we're saying, but we do know this. You pray that way. Holy Spirit kicks in and applies your prayer to the will of God, Romans 8, 26, 27. So pray in the Spirit. You don't know what you're praying for, but at least you know you're praying in God's will. This is why I do it. You want to pray in His will. You ask in faith. But now here's a little problem. I used to struggle. I don't anymore because I had a breakthrough. I used to think, yeah, it's well and good, James, that you say, if you ask for wisdom, ask God, who gives generously. But then you had to add, but he must believe and not doubt, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think he would receive anything from the Lord. I think, well, that just kills it, because I don't have perfect faith. I ask, and I'm not sure I'm praying in perfect faith. And then it hit me. James didn't say you wouldn't have wisdom. He just says you don't have any right to expect it. What that means is, if you pray in faith, then you know you're going to get it. But if you don't pray in faith, doesn't mean you won't get it. It just means you don't have the expectancy. And the reason I know that's true is because in James chapter 5, when you pray for the sick, he says the prayer of faith will save the sick. I have prayed for people that were sick. A lady came up to me in Scotland, said to me, I've got the worst headache. I can hardly hold my head. And I had to get to another venue. And she said, would you just pray for my headache? And I was kind of in a hurry. I put my Bible down, put my hand on her temples. I said, in Jesus' name, be healed. God bless you. I got my Bible, went on my way. I didn't have any more faith that she would be healed. I just did it because she asked me to. Four months later, she wrote me a letter. She said, for five years, I've had sinus headaches off and on. She says, that week, the worst of my life, that day, I could hardly hold up my head. She says, when you prayed, I felt nothing. But three or four hours later, I thought, my headache's gone. And she said, it's never come back. It just shows that God answered my prayer. I didn't have perfect faith. James doesn't say you can't have wisdom. He just says, you won't have the assurance of it. But keep asking, because I can tell you, I pray for wisdom all the time, and I find that God has given me words, and I think, I didn't have faith for that. Don't let that verse put you off, make you say, well, there's no use to pray. It just means if you do pray with this kind of faith, you, you know you've got it, and that's lovely. But it doesn't always happen like that. And so, the wisdom that God wants for each one of us is on offer, and it is the secret to the greatest gift ever. It's no better than this. Do you need wisdom? Do you need it? 
By the way, the opposite of a wise person is a fool. And being a fool does not mean low IQ, low intellect. A fool in the Bible is one who chose to be a fool because he didn't want the fear of the Lord. I'll tell you something else. When he says, though it costs you everything you have, uh, go for it. Because there's something else that I need to close with about wisdom. One reason people don't like to read Proverbs is because it's not very long until you get in your face, verse after verse, section after section, about sexual purity. And I have to tell you that there is a correlation between wisdom and sexual purity. How many a gifted person, though their prophetic gift flourished and everybody stands in awe, but could not control their sexual temptations. How many preachers have fallen because they could not control their sexual urges? And you've got all those verses in Proverbs about the adulterous woman and sexual impurity. And there's a connection. And you say, well, I'm lonely. I sympathize. I really sympathize. Didn't say it would be easy. That's why Proverbs says, though it costs you. There's a cost, but I can tell you the reward is worth all the self-denial, all the loss of pride, though it cost you your pride. One of the biggest decisions I had to make in Westminster Chapel was when I would go out on the streets and give out tracts. No previous minister of Westminster Chapel did anything like that. They thought it's okay to do it in Hyde Park Corner. But our minister, he doesn't go out on the streets, and I did. It hurt my pride. And I could go on and on. The things that have cost me self-esteem and pride and hurt and, and money. But listen to this. Get this wisdom. Don't forsake it. It is supreme. Though it costs you all you have, get it. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. The exchange is worth it.
Get this wisdom. By the way, what about that question I asked? What you would say to God? If he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What, what came to your mind? What came to your mind? When I said, what would you say to God? If he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What came to your mind? If it did not cross your mind to say, because Jesus died for me on the cross, if it did not cross your mind to say that, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything, anything. Because this is where wisdom begins. This is the beginning when you accept that God sent His Son into the world would you be willing to pray this prayer right now? I'm only addressing now those who gave the wrong answer. Because you, were, you said, well, I tried to live a good life or brought up in a Christian home or I was baptized. Or, you know, but you didn't think to say, because Jesus died for me. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer right now. Not out loud, just say it. God will listen to you. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. That's it. 